Kia ora koutou katoa, no mai haramaiki inside netball ko Ravinda Hunia, Thorku Ingoa. The Australian Diamonds have claimed once again the Constellation Cup after their win over the Silver Ferns in the decider match, 57-53. to Here to break it down with me and two wahine who were working very hard during the broadcast of the Constellation Cup, Storm Purvis, Adine Wilson, kia ora kōrua. Dean was working hard. I don't know if I was. <laughs> I got to put my feet up and watch it during the game. <laughs> no, you, you did. You both did a great job. And obviously not the uh, result we would have wanted as uh, New Zealand fans, obviously. But as a whole, what did you both make of the Constellation Cup series? Um, it was a real kind of roller coaster of emotions and happy, sad, impressed, disappointed. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we, we kind of saw it all from both teams, I think, um, highs and lows. On the whole, I am feeling confident going forward for the Silver Ferns. It's a real shame that we didn't get to keep the trophy. That would have been fantastic. Um, but at the end of the day, once I put that disappointment aside and kind of reflected a bit more, I think I'm feeling confident about where the Ferns are heading come World Cup time, knowing we've got some players to come back, come back knowing we've seen players tried in different combinations and positions. Um, yes, at first, a bit like you, Adine, I, I was angry at some of the, um, not combinations, I guess, but kind of angry at what the Ferns put out there at times, and it, it may have felt like they weren't you know, playing the Constellation Cup to win and Knowles had approached it as a way to try combinations. Mm. Um, so yes, disappointed we didn't get the trophy, but now I'm back on the, you're a genius, Knowles, yep, <laughs> bring on the World Cup. <laughs> See, I'm still grumpy. Yeah, I'm be. still grumpy. I feel really torn, actually, about this. Mm. Um, I get that we're building towards a World Cup. Get it. Absolutely. And in that frame of mind, I think the Silver Moon's absolutely on track, perfectly on track for taking out a World Cup pinnacle event. Mm. But the purest old school person in me says, I want to bloody win these ones and I want to win a Constellation Cup. And going back in the days when I played, winning against Australia consistently builds confidence. Mm. And that in itself will win you a World Cup, that you've got confidence in your combinations, you've got confidence, you know how to beat. Aussie, not just on New Zealand soil, but on Australian soil. Mm. And that's where I feel quite frustrated still. I haven't recovered yet <laughs> because I can, I can see and I get it. Professional sport now, we see it in lots of sports. They take all different people and different um, series. They take wider squads. They're building depth. But I quite liked when we just took the best people and won competitions. And that's why I think I feel frustrated. I think I'm on board with we're on track for World Cup, but I think we squandered a chance to win the Constellation Cup. I have to agree with you, with you both on that. I felt a little disappointed as well. I mean, a two from four. It's not bad against the Aussies back-to-back -back wins, but again, it was if you could go to Australia and stamp your mark on their, you know, on their home territory, then you knew you were in, you know, good stead for the future. And Adine, how much confidence would it have meant for the Silver Ferns to beat the Commonwealth Games gold medalists straight off the back of that competition? And back-to-back. -back. I mean, Silver Ferns, hell, they, they were the holders of the Constellation Cup. To go two years in a row and hold it and to win on Australian soil. And yes, you know, Australia, there's no doubt there's been a bit of turmoil over there for many things, which we'll talk about soon. And again, another opportunity to strike. Um, so, yeah, it would have, I think, been a really good um, confidence builder. And we know in, in sport, when you get to that elite level, 
We know people physically are going to be very similar. It's those top two inches that make the difference. It's the top two inches that win games mm. in critical moments. And I just think that was an opportunity we could have taken. It's interesting eh? because when the teams were announced, it wasn't as if we were thinking, oh, what a shame Peter's not there for all four. Mm. Before those first two matches, we weren't thinking that way because we didn't know what Peter was capable of um, in the black dress against Australia because we haven't really seen her there A too often and B when she has, hasn't necessarily played to her full potential like she does in the ANZ. So it wasn't until after those first two games that it was like, oh damn, why, why are we doing this? Why but it's not just about <laughs> Peter though. No, I know, yeah, it's, I know it's Peter, not, yeah. but um, just the, the difference in it. It's highlighted yeah. it. Totally yeah. highlighted it's it. It's solidifying yeah. that team, right? Yeah. 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 And they did the same. Australia yeah. did the same. Yeah, totally. They took um, how many different combinations did they have in New Zealand they, versus yeah. what they had. They had no Joe Weston, which mm. is one of their best players, mm. didn't come to New Zealand. So they were no different. Mm. They took, you know, wider squads and, and tried people. But again, is, is that just the way it is now? Is that professional sport? You're, you're building that depth? Mm. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm just a little bit old school. <laughs> maybe it isn't. It Show just didn't work out for us. <laughs> Well, look, we have gone through the first three games uh, of the Constellation Cup on this show, so today we're looking at Game 4, but feel free to jump in and compare to those games, obviously. Game 4 started with a hiss and a roar. New Zealand came out the gates firing, and I was like, oh, here we go. Big difference from uh, Game 3 in terms of their start especially. So what did we make of that? Because New Zealand won that quarter 16-13. to 13. Yeah, I think the glaringly obvious thing on a surface level was the difference in umpiring. I think we, well you guys especially in comms, made um, so many comments about how much Courtney Bruce and Joe Weston were getting pulled up and that just wasn't happening in Melbourne. So that just allowed our attacking end, I guess, the space and the time and, and the freedom to actually get into their work and get that flow going, whereas they didn't have that opportunity in Melbourne. So there was a little bit of that that I think really helped and it took Weston and Bruce a while to adjust. Um, that's probably the biggest one for me, especially when you look at Maddie Gordon and her ability to feed into Grace. It was, um, yeah, she just had more pathways and more freedom to do that. So that was the biggest sort of thing for me in that first quarter. Yeah, and for me, I think the big change in that match, I think Silford started well, all of those points that, that um, Storms pointed out. But for me, it was that, that start of that third quarter, I think we got two attacking contacts. Mm. We might have missed three, a, almost. three almost. I think we got a third at some point as well. And you felt the momentum just shift and shift quickly. And credit to Australia, I think they had had a chat about the umpire ch change and how they were interpreting the rules and they adjusted. And their defence adjusted, but their attack was simply sublime. I thought Garbin and Wood mm were so good in that third quarter. We were, they were creating all the space in the world that they wanted and we, and Anna, Anna Harrison pointed it out in commentary at the time, we're in reaction mode. All our defense were react, react, react. We weren't dictating. We were reacting to what they were doing and they got on a roll. You know, we keep talking about this word confidence and they just, you know, you, they were unstoppable for a point there. But you know, what I was really proud of the Silver Ferns was okay we needed to have um, recovered from that quicker but they did in the in the final quarter I think Amelia Ann stepped up in the final quarter I thought she was very quiet in the third and we needed her in that third but 
but credit to her, she stepped up in the fourth and really put her mark on the match in the end. And they, they did give themselves a chance. They got back to, was it four in the end? Yeah. You know, they gave themselves a chance. We were in it, we were on the edge of our seat. Um, so I think that's been really heartening across this whole series. Mm. I think the Silver Ferns at times, you know, the Australia have come back to them in, in New Zealand. We withheld, withstood it and pulled away. And I think other than that third quarter in the fourth, again, New Zealand did a really good job being able to absorb a lot of the Australian pressure and, and build on it and move on. Just done the whole, just talking about the first quarter. I've <laughs> <laughs> said it all now. <laughs> well, in game three, at the end of game, the biggest criticism that the Ferns put on themselves was collective, that they didn't work as of. Do you think that we saw a bit more of that in game four? We've heard that word so often from mm. both Mills and Knowles, and I guess it's a real pillar of how they want to play and what they want to produce out on court and speaks highly of their team unit, I guess. And it's hard to make it like tangible, mm. if you know what I mean? Mm. Like it's hard to just say, oh yes, they were they were collected in that <laughs> game. And I kind of, I guess being connected is, is one way to mm. look at it. And I don't know whether there's a tangible way to say, yes, I could see that at the start of that fourth game. Um, in comparison to the third game and I guess as a defender that's definitely one way I look at a game is how connected a defensive unit are um, and to be fair this wasn't a defender's game on, on Sunday so it's hard to kind of reflect in, in that way but it is clear that connection is super important for this Silver Ferns team and I think Meals really leads that and that's a big part of her captaincy so if it's something that they said they weren't feeling on Wednesday, they wanted to lift and bring out on Sunday, then, then tick for sure because mm. they started so well and that's got to have something to do with it. Yeah, and I think they are looking connected because at times, you know when you get into trouble and you're down, you, you start seeing players work really hard in their own little cylinders. Um, and I don't think we ever saw that. I think you, you still felt like they were working hard, but there was connections between them. So I think there's certainly been um, a, you know, they've, they've worked on that and, it's, and you can see that on court. They're not so obviously at times getting into their own little cylinders. Mm. They're still staying in touch with each other. Yeah, and I think a telltale sign of that was I expected Dame Nolene Toto to maybe be a little bit more grumpy, and she wasn't, I thought. Like, you know, she was very willing to talk about more of the positives than the negatives to come out of it, considering they hadn't won the Constellation Cup. So, you know, kudos to that. Uh, you mentioned Amelia and Ekanasia. What did we make of her connection with Grace Nowicki in Game 4? Uh, still great, I thought. I agree with you, Adine. I think she was quiet in patches, and I think we made comment of the fact that this was her fourth near full game at goal attack against mm. Australia in a really, really long time, you know, back to back. I know she came off a little bit in the third, um, but it was a huge, huge series for her back in the captaincy, playing full games at goal attack, getting, proving, sorry, that she's got that fitness back. And I loved her combination with Grace. I feel like as, as the series got on, she was more willing to kind of turn and look and mm. offload those shooter to shooters, let the ball go from you know outside the circle as well. I noted in, in game four though, it took her 10 minutes to put up her first yeah. shot. It wasn't until the five minute to go mark. And knowing Meals, that's not the kind of game that she likes to play and thrives off. So it's about her finding that balance to still being a really strong shooting option that your defenders have to worry about and sharing that shooting load but also playing to Grace's strengths which you know Grace gets ball in hand under the post she's going to put it up mm. so I think finding that balance so that Mills can still feel as if she's doing what she does best and contributing enough to that attacking end but still playing into Grace's hands and working on that combination but 
very promising signs. I really enjoyed watching them. Mm. Yeah, I think they're a great combination. They're the, they're the way forward. And, and again, I look, you know, there's been a lot of comparison with Grace and Irene Van Dyke. And I think, you know, um, to me, Mills plays a little bit um, along the same lines as the likes of Belinda Colling. Very smart players, very clever. They can read play really well. And I think that's what I like about this combination. Mills absolutely recognises what Grace's strengths are and she's just balancing it out and she's happy to balance it. But to your point, Storm, that is always the challenge, I think, if you're a goal attack, when you've got such a dominant shooter, mm. is keeping in touch with the actual goalpost because all of a sudden you can get asked to take that crucial shot and if you haven't taken it, it can feel like a long time. But to Amelia Ann's credit, even though she got quiet for a while there in the third, she shot beautifully, had really good percentages and looked very confident every time she looked at the hoop. Yeah, when I was watching that game I kind of thought that there was a like a feed the beast mentality and I say that in the nicest way possible, it's a Warriors reference, <laughs> um, you know that feed the beast like I, I felt like the mid quarters were just looking for grace immediately so I was thinking that maybe could that be a reason why Amelia wasn't getting the ball as much? I mean Probably. I know the whole point of trying all these different middies was, I think, to find out who could feed Grace best because they, you know, the Silver Ferns prior to the series were still nailing that, you know, still figuring out who lets the ball go best and who's got the pinpoint accuracy for Grace. And I think Knowles would have made that clear to her. We've run out on court. This is what I'm looking at. This is what I'm judging you on. I need someone who's going to be able to give, you know, serviceable, serviceable ball to Grace. So... If, if she was open and she was free, then they were letting it go. I mean, how many off-circle edge feeds did we see in the series from the Silver Ferns compared to on-circle? You know, mm. the difference was huge. So I'm sure that would have been a, a directive. Um, but you're totally right, Adine. You hear about it all the time. I remember Jody Brown and Janelle Fallaried at the Steel all those years. You know, Jodes would put up maybe three shots a game and just not know herself. And <laughs> um, the balance is going to be important. Yeah, and, and regardless of whether it's Grace in the circle or Maya or Tapaya, you should always, as a midi, first option should be looking into that yeah. circle because yeah. you want to get it there in the least number of passes because it's the least number of opportunities for a defender. So as soon as you turn, that's exactly where you should be looking. So good to see that they were doing that and, you know, good to see that, that Mills and Grace are getting that combination and working out how to balance that circle as well. Absolutely. You mentioned, Storm, that this was very much an attacking game as opposed to defence and when I looked at the gains and intercepts, Australia only had four intercepts in six mm. gains. New Zealand had more, six intercepts in nine gains. So that is very reflective of an attacking game and you mentioned Sophie Garbin, Steph Wood. What did you make of their performances and what was it about that combination that New Zealand just couldn't quite get the better of. It, it grew um, mm. between even games three and four, and I think Steph Wood was had a much better game in game four because she figured out when to roll the circle, when to play herself in, and, and learned about, more about Sophie Garvin's movements. They wouldn't have played together just about ever, yeah. possibly. So by that fourth game, I think Steph Wood, she's so clever. She just figured out when that space was available, and we saw her fancy footwork rolling the top <laughs> wall, playing the in and outs, and, and Sophie kind of almost plays like Maya. She's really smart mm, at, at yeah. screening a player, opening up the backspace, but then she's got a really strong front hold as well. So if she's got jury on her front, then they can play the ball straight to her, work her feeders onto the circle edge. So she's got this huge toolkit that would be really, really hard to defend if you haven't played at this certain player or combination very often. And I think um, both Jerry and Karaka, to be honest, just got stuck on the wrong side of Sophie. And she's such a target, such a strong player that 
by the time the quick speedy Aussie middies had made it down, it was too late for them to switch their angles. They weren't onto it quick enough and they weren't setting up enough for each other. So um, I think it goes back to that unit defence. Kate Heffernan, yes, she had an outstanding game, got mm. lots of ball, but Anna Harrison made the point. She was doing too much and, yeah. and running around a lot that the unit kind of fell apart. So that unit going forward, the Australian attacking unit, is, is going to be a really tough one to defend and they're going to have to have a whole lot of different defensive styles and, and setups on centre-pass attack um, in their toolkit because, yeah, they can change it up and they've got two strong options with both Wood and Garvin presenting to the wall. She yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, yeah. oh my gosh, how do you defend this? I would not want to be in there. It'd be really, yeah. really tough. Yeah. Actually, when I was watching her, I got, you mentioned Maya Wilson, I got Caitlin Thwaites vibes from her. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought Steph Wood was a lot lab, like um, yeah. Teague Neal running around. And yes, you're running. right. Anyway, well done. <laughs> we didn't like it, but well done. <laughs> We're going to move on to, our, uh, to the next part of looking at that third quarter. Now, in commentary, Jenny Woods called this the third quarter horror show. Um, so that's what I've called it. <laughs> she gives us some beauties. But um, that quarter really did define the match, didn't it? Um, Silver Ferns losing that quarter, 19 Only quarter to eight. they lost. Only quarter they lost, 19 to eight, but went in leading at 30-25, I think it was, mm. and not scoring, um, and Australia getting two goals ahead. What happened in that third quarter? I think you said it, Adine, at the beginning of this chat, that those two or three offensive contacts, um, when it's our ball, that leads to six goals because, you know, they get the next centre pass and then there was a missed shot as well. So you, they get on this run, Australia, and we either can respond to that and stay calm and, and fight back or you kind of go into a hole, which is really easy to do. And I think, unfortunately for the Ferns, that's what happened in that third quarter and I think it was in that moment that they were missing someone like Gina Crampton, um, someone with a steady hand, you know, really low ball retention to just settle it down and, and do a couple of super easy to score centre pass attack setups that they know work for them, nothing flashy, get it to the circle edge or whatever you mid middies do to try and um, <laughs> settle, <guys>. down, <laughs> settle down the attack. And the third quarter was just gone by then, and then obviously Knowles made some changes um, by bringing Poi, Kayla and Ellie Timu on. Hats off to her, she had to make them, but I don't think they necessarily worked or made too much of an impact. Other than Kayla Johnson, yeah. I thought she mm -hmm. did quite well. Yeah. Um, but Kimmy coming in at wing attack just it felt a little bit overawed to me, and, and she didn't have that release that they were probably after. Um, but again, you're right, they came back in the fourth, which was really promising. It, the hole didn't get deeper and deeper. Mm. Um, but they will be angry at themselves that they let that run right at the beginning disarm them a little bit. Uh, Australian media and a bit of New Zealand ones too caught up with Dame Nolene Thodua and Captain Emilio and Ikanasio straight after the match for this press conference. Oh yeah, look, I mean, we knew it was going to be. It, it was a big moment, right? It was a, it was a big game. It was a decider and. And I thought we went in really strong with what we wanted to do, and we were clear, and it was um, it was manageable. We just and uh, we didn't commit maybe hard enough in that in that third quarter. That was the one that really really knocked us, and um, we just can't afford to do that. You can't afford to go down by so much and and lose a lead, and that's a really big learning for us as a group and and individuals as well too to see where we're at. But 
but overall some really good stuff as well too just yeah oh, it's a tough one I thought we responded really well I think um, there still shows once again uh, when we don't when people don't do their own job how that impacts on everybody else and also our strategy but everybody gave it and uh, the intent was good um, just in in moments of time like Mill said our ability to execute um, and we get pulled apart a wee bit. So um, when I was thinking of the back in the changing room, you know, it's two wall, <laughs> if I want to put my own slant on it. Um, and probably when I look at the percentages, it's seven, seven percent or seven goals, that's the difference. Um, and that's probably about right, I think, how far we are away from Australia. So that's probably within Kui, I think, of um, how much more we have to do. Yeah, look, um, one of the things when we're going into Netball World Cup is that we've got to have three deep in each position. Uh, and a lot of the mid-quarters, you've got to either own your own position or you've got to be able to slide. So one of our metrics that we really look at is your ability to feed and also repeated efforts. Um, and they are gutsy, but I think also our ability to hold and sustain that intensity sometimes eludes us and we're not as consistent. But also the only way that you're going to get your feet is if you're out there against the best. So it's always a, a catch-22 sort of phase, but um, I think the exciting thing is, you know, we've got Gina still to come back, um, that we know who will strengthen it, mm -hmm. and when we get to final selections, it's going to be very competitive. And off the court, is it really important that Nipple Australia is strong financially as well to be able to ensure, say, Super Nipple survives, um, there's a strong league here, and a strong diamonds team to, to... Yeah, sure. I think, um, you know, you always got to have a strong national organisation. We're, we're very lucky with Netball New Zealand, but also it doesn't come lightly because of the history and the people who have been before us, but also the work that we do behind the scenes in regards to the relationships, not only with our funding partners, but also our our players association it's really important that we're working at the systems mm -hmm. and we're building depth in the pathways and that's everybody it's not just one doing their own job it's how it impacts on everybody else so with Australia being very strong um, it's very important to to netball um, not only for Australia but for us and international netball it's very important Kia ora, kia koe korua. Now an interesting question in that press conference was about what the Australian Diamonds had been battling externally as well as battling on the netball court with the Constellation Cup. Of course we're talking about this Hancock deal, sponsorship deal, worth $15 million that has since been taken off the table um, due to a few things but namely what's been happening in the media um, and the negative press. Um, Wainema, what do we understand about what is going on here? Because they had a deal, and we've actually spoken about it on this show before, about the debt that Australian netball have been on. Kath, uh, Harvey Williams was on this show talking about it as well. They had the money there. It's been taken away now. What are our understandings on this? Well, it's hard to kind of figure out because um, since this whole thing came to light, there's been a whole lot of he said, she said. Yeah. And we're getting different reports from different media outlets, different involved parties. Different releases. Different mm. releases, Press the releases. players, the Players Association, Netball Australia. Um, two things, like my, my thoughts and my emotions around this whole thing are that I'm really sad, really angry and really confused. And the, the communication shambles is probably the biggest thing that stands out to me. And we've talked about it, Adine, how 
lucky we feel on this side of the ditch that those relationships and communication pathways seem much more clear on this side of the ditch with New Zealand netball and you know players and, and players associations. So I'm annoyed that um, my understanding is that Danelle Wallen didn't want to wear the sponsor for her upcoming debut against England and that was kind of it from the players point of view that's mm. that's what I've read most recently who knows what is true and what's actually being said and, and how that communication has worked but if that's the case and Hancock has since pulled out because of that that just makes me quite sad to mm. be honest. Well you feel sorry for Danelle you know this poor kid she's not even played for Australia yet and you know there's a lot of negative press that's getting thrown at her on social media, you know, she's, she hasn't even had a test yet. Yeah. So for me, same as you, Storm, it's the communication here. I feel like there's been a breakdown. I can see the arguments on both sides and you could debate all sides of this, right? Go in circles. You could yeah. go in circles. <laughs> but what's really interesting for me in the Hancock release, press release, there's been many, they made note that they were unaware of the breakdown between Netball Australia and the Players Association and the um, chat they were currently having about money and an increasing player salaries and the like. And they made a real point of that. Um, but it just, it just feels really ugly, really sad. And it's not just the diamonds that this is going to affect. You know, this is it's just like if 15 million got wiped out, touch wood, not from Netball New Zealand. Mm. This has massive effects right down the lines mm. because it's actually, it's the grassroots yep. sport that props up our professional sport. Just while our grassroots players want to be those, it's them paying their subs, you know, going and watching games. It's them that are actually contributing to the professional game and it's them that potentially could get massively affected by the fact that this 15 million has gone. Mm. So I, you know, I just feel sorry that all parties couldn't have got in a room and come to some sort of agreement where everybody felt comfortable and I suppose that's the bit that feels icky um, and but also the bit that I feel that we're very lucky on this side of the Tasman you know touchwood again so far so good the relationships are there and I think that's the biggest scary bit for me for Australia is how far it seems some key relationships appear and we don't know the full story mm, that's right. but appear to have broken down. Kōrua, thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you. Good chat. <laughs> Very good chat. Interesting <laughs> chat. Look, Fano, if you thought that was all the netball for this year, you would be mistaken because Fast Five is coming home to Christchurch. <laughs> this time in Christchurch. November 5th, all the action kicks off down in the south, so don't miss it. Of course, you can catch all the action right here on Sky Sport. Until next week, Fano, Matewa.